right, if you uh, have your Bibles, grab those. Matthew chapter 21, we'll start in verse 1 here in a little bit. Um, We are in this series, week 4 of the kingdom, um, just looking at what that means and the implications of that uh, as it plays out in Scripture, as we see it in God's Word, um, and even what that means for us here today in our current uh, world. And so um, I just want to point you to, again, our app. If you have our app, you can follow along some of those notes and thoughts are there for you um, to follow along with. Um, and then also just want to um, and point your attention to this real fast. And you may not recognize or understand or know what this is, um, but church, you and I had the privilege this week, and it may not seem like a lot, but we had the privilege this week as a church to send out three of these to a local school. Um, and what was in the bag was food for that kid to go home this weekend and have some snacks and meals and things like that over the weekend um, because what happens is they come in on Monday morning hungry. Uh, the guidance counselor and some of the teachers kind of notice that they're, they're hungry and that there's some stuff going on there and so they let us know who those kids are. And so we got to deliver for the first time uh, this school year, Saturday, uh, Friday, uh, three bags uh, to, to one of the local schools and we're just waiting on the numbers to get in for the other schools and we'll be doing the same thing and I just man I just want to say thank you um, for your support of this ministry thank you so much man just for your heart to uh, help and partner with uh, the local school systems to feed kids to love on kids to share the gospel with kids and so we had that great privilege and honor this week and I'm excited to see what this year is going to look like because I would probably venture to imagine it's probably going to be a, a big year for us being able to do that and then what really makes me excited is the fact that uh, about, a, not quite a, yeah, about a month ago, this church voted to say, yes, we want to put a substantial amount of our budget to missions. And that's missions. That's taking the, the good news of the gospel to the local schools. And, and the way that we're going to do that, first and foremost, is by meeting a physical need. I mean, we'll get to sharing Jesus with them, but let's get that pain out of their stomach first. And then as we get that pain out of their stomach and we love on them, now we'll be able to, to, to have their ear through their stomach. Why? Because uh, now there's no pain there and they can actually hear what you have to say. And so we have the great opportunity and privilege to love on that campus, to love in this community and at schools. And I just want to say thank you. Thank you for that. I, I am excited to be a part of a church that sees the need and the desire to love on this community, to love on children, to love on people, and for us to, to, to actually do something and not just talk about it. Uh, and so I just, I just, man, I was excited this week as I had the opportunity to, to take those um, and deliver those uh, this week. And so again, thank you so, so much. So this morning, uh, we'll get to Matthew 21, 1 here in a few minutes. Um, but to kind of catch us up, what we looked at last week was just Genesis 3, and we see that the kingdom was lost. Um, and and there's, a, there's a verse there at the end of Genesis that is just gut-wrenching, I would say. That just, it just haunts me every time I read it. And so I just want to read it to you real quick. Genesis uh, chapter 3, verse 24. This is that uh, gut-wrenching, man, just heartbreaking, overwhelming verse that we see here in Genesis 3, 24. It says that he, this is being God, he drove out the man. And at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and the flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. What we see here at the end of Genesis 3, as sin enters the world, as rebellion has taken place, is that we see God drive out Adam and Eve from the garden. I mean, get your mind around that for a moment. Think about that for a second. Just get that imagery in your head for a moment. That the God of the universe, creator God, created man in the uh, image of himself, drives them out of the garden. Those image bearers, man and woman, 
reigning and ruling on God's behalf are now rebels and traitors against the one true God and God comes to them and he drives them out of his presence. That's what we see lost in the kingdom last week as we looked at Genesis 3, as we look at our world and we see what's happening, what's transpiring, what's taking place in our world. What's the the epidemic that has taken place for thousands of thousands of years is is, is sin, is rebellion against the God that created us in His image. And then what we see in Genesis chapters 4 through 11 is this horrific story of, of, of downward spiral that continues in humanity. I mean, there's murder, there's chaos, idolatry, there's paganism, and it ultimately ends with man trying to build his own kingdom. And we still very much do the same thing as we see in Genesis 4 through 11, don't we? We still battle and fight against that. It plays out in our life day in and day out as we rebel against God. And so this sin and this rebellion is not just something that's found in the scriptures, but it's something that that, that is in front of us day in and day out. It's something that we see and experience day in and day out, and it's heartbreaking. It's crushing. And so what we do is we try to elevate ourselves to the utmost. We try to build kingdoms. We try to find purpose for ourselves and stuff because we've lost that actual kingdom that God has established, what he created. And so we still fight deep within us what happened over 2,000 years ago in the fall. And so the thing that you and I need to know, the thing that you and I need to understand, that, that what we need the most in our life is not fame, is not money, is not houses, is not promotion, is not stuff. But we, what we are in desperate need of every moment of every day is the presence of God. It is the presence of the King. And so my hope this morning is that's what you'll see. As we look to Jesus as King in Matthew 21, we're going to see Jesus say that I am your King And in that, he's going to declare that he has this hope for you. He's going to declare who he is. He's going to declare a number of things that we're going to look at this morning. And so let's do this. Let's let's, let's dive in here in just a few moments. I'm going to ask you if you'd pray with me one more time, and then we will jump into our scripture in Matthew 21. Father, speak to our hearts this morning. Father, move in a mighty way. Father, make your presence known in this place this morning, God, as we open up your word, as we proclaim your word God, may the Holy Spirit fall heavy upon our hearts. God, may you convict, may you draw, may you encourage. Oh, God, teach us this morning, we pray. God, give us eyes and a heart that's solely for you. Oh, God, do a work in our heart and in our life. Father, we thank you and we praise you. God, you are a good king and we'll see that this morning. God, may we be reminded of that constantly. And then we pray. Amen. Um, so before we jump right into uh, Matthew 21 here, uh, I guess my question for you is this, what, what comes to mind when you think of king? Uh, like whenever I say that or, or what, what image I guess kind of uh, stirs in your heart or stirs in your mind and it could be maybe from a movie that you've seen before or maybe some history that you've read before, but, but whenever I use the word king, what, what comes to mind? I, I don't know about you, but for me it's one of those things of, of a ruler of, and usually as in movies and in a lot of history, uh, a king is depicted as this wicked evil person. Out for self-gain, out for self-glory. The thing that I think of often is power and the misuse of power whenever you think of king. And so uh, what I want to do is I want to contrast maybe your picture or your image or your thought of what a king is to the image and picture of what the one true king is, who he truly is, what he is truly, truly like. Because we're going to see a picture of a king like none ever before. 
And there will never be another one like. That's the picture and imagery that we're going to see here for Matthew 21. And this is usually a scripture that's, that's read or looked at closer to, to Easter. But I believe it's just fitting for where we're going to be at in this series. I, I just believe it's, it's perfect for us to get our heart and head around what our king is truly like. And the first thing that we're going to see is this. Is that Jesus is going to proclaim his kingship with a donkey. He's going to proclaim his kingship with a donkey. Matthew 21 one says this. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and they came to Bethpage to the Mount of Olives, and then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village in front of you and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say the Lord needs them and he will send them at once. So why is he doing this? What's happening Why does he want to ride into Jerusalem on a donkey? He's never done anything like this before. He's never acted this way. He's never done done anything like this. So why now? And so what Matthew is going to do, he's going to explain it to us in the next two verses. Verse 4, he says, This took place to do what? To fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. And this is what the prophet said in verse 5. Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, on a foal of a beast of burden. And so what we see here, Matthew quotes Zechariah 9.9. Jesus is living out this fulfillment of prophecy. And in doing so, what he's doing, he's, he is declaring his kingship. How? By riding on a donkey. By coming in on a, a donkey. This means I am king, but I am not like any other king. I'm not like any other king that you know or that you're aware of. He is saying, no, I am gentle. I am lowly. That's what he's saying. He says, I'm not coming to destroy you. Instead, I am coming to rescue, redeem, and save you. That's the imagery and the picture that Jesus is showing here. He's proclaiming in his kingship that today is the day of salvation. I've come to rescue and redeem you. You are in great need and you don't even know what you're in great need of. But I'm going to show you. I'm going to model for you. I'm going to point to you. Is this the salvation that's just for the daughters of Zion? Is this just for a select group of people or or a country? And and listen to the context of this prophecy real fast. And and know that Jesus would be aware of this. Jesus knows the context of what's going on here. Years ago in Zechariah 9.9, this is what it says. It says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. So he is holy, he is righteous, he is right in everything that he does. That is the king that is coming. And this is what it says, having salvation is he. This king offers salvation, offers redemption, offers rescue to what? To the greatest need of the human heart. And it's what we read about and looked at last week. It's sin, it's rebellion, it's self. That's what we know about this king. That's what he's coming and bringing. He says, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And then Zechariah 9.10 says, and I will cut off the chariot for Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem and the battle bow shall be cut off and he shall speak peace to the nations. That's what Jesus has come to do, speak peace to the nations. That's what our king is about. He's about peace. He's about speaking peace and offering salvation. It says, his rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. That's who our king is. Ruling and reigning everywhere. Everywhere. See, Jesus is the fulfillment of Zechariah chapter 9. Jesus is the fulfillment of what Matthew had just quoted from Zechariah. He declares that his humble and gentle and saving 
nature. That's what he's showing. That's what he's pointing to. He's, he's showing that it's, that it's not just for the Jews, but it's for a global kingship. And then what we know about Jesus is that he invites us to receive it. He invites us to receive it. I love this truth. I mean, think about that for a moment. I love this imagery, right? We lived in a culture, we live in a world that's puffed up, that's conceited, that's all about getting ahead, it's all about being strong, it's all about manipulating, it's all about, about doing whatever you need to do to get ahead and be, be, be the, the top, biggest, the best, but that's not what we see in Jesus' kingship. We see him come lowly as a servant with humility. That's how we see him live. That's how we see him be. Jesus comes contrary to the world, and we'll see that here in a few moments. But Jesus comes in a contrary way compared to the world. He doesn't come like the world and flex his muscle, though he very well could have. Jesus doesn't come and, 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 and threaten and do all of this stuff and, and, and zap people and do all of those crazy things that he very well could have and could have been justified to do. And said, no, he comes lowly and humble and he serves. And so what we see is this, is that man is driven out from the presence of God over in Genesis chapter 3. And from that moment, even up to this very day, we see our God, our King, coming for us with gentleness and humility because we won't go for Him. I mean, think about that for a moment. Think about that for a second. I mean, you've got the King of kings and Lord of lords who comes for people that want nothing to do with Him. Who offers himself for a people that want absolutely nothing to do, that, that wants to lead and rule and reign, and they want absolutely nothing to do with him. And he still comes for them. Verse 7, it says this. It says that they brought the donkey, back in Matthew 21, they brought the donkey and the colt, and they put on them um, their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And so what we know from Scripture is that when you spread your garments on the street like this, when this starts to happen, um, it's an ancient act of, of, of homage. It's reserved for high royalty is what Second Kings teaches us. And so this would lead us to believe that the people here, uh, they've recognized Jesus' claims to be king of the Jews. But, but they don't truly understand what that means. Look at it, verse 9. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. So, so they're crying out this. They're, they're seeing and recognizing, okay, there, there's a kingship taking place. There's, there's an establishment that's about to happen. That, that Jesus is moving in a mighty way. And, and they knew. They were ready for a king. They, they had knew the prophecies. They had, they had knew the, the promises. They knew it, but they didn't understand it. They had a head knowledge of it, but they didn't understand and know what the true meaning of what was taking place. And so what we see here in this moment is that their actions and their voices are not going to match later on what they're saying. They're not going to match later on what they're saying. They have this preconceived notion of what their king's to be like. They have this desire deep within their heart that's going to be contrary to that of Jesus and they want it their way. They want the king to rule and reign how they want the king to rule and reign. In church, we've got to understand, Jesus don't play by those rules. Jesus is king. Jesus is sovereign. Jesus is ruling and reigning and what he has said, what he has established is right. Not our opinion of it. Not what we think of it. Not how we interpret it because he means what he means and he says what he means. And so the way that he has established the things that he has done, that's who Jesus is. 
And they were not ready to accept that. So what we see here is them crying out, Hosanna to the son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And so Hosanna here is just this plea meaning save us, save us now. So they're crying out to this king, yes, yes, Jesus, save us, save us. But they don't even know what they want to be saved from. They're not even aware of their need for salvation. Their saving is from a system that they're trapped in. From a government that they can't stand. That's what they wanted to be saved. They wanted to be saved to comfort is what they wanted to be saved to. They didn't want to be saved from sin. And so what we know about this quote here in, in, in verse 9 is that it's just a quote from Psalm 118, 25, and 26. So this is the crowd acknowledging Jesus' messianic claim. But as we know in the story, they don't submit to it. As we know in the story, what's going to happen in a day later, they're going to be screaming crucify. Crucify. The, the, the very ones that were saying, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Lord, save, Lord, save, Lord, rescue, Lord, rescue are going to be the very ones that's going to be screaming out, crucify, crucify, crucify. That's what we know to be true in the story. That's the kind of king that we serve. One who willingly lays down his life. So the crowd's not interested in a king saving their soul, but rather from him saving their nation. Is that not a picture of our world? Yeah, we're cool with Jesus as long as he saves us from whatever we think we need him to save us from. Hasn't that mentality even infiltrated the church yet? We like Jesus. We even love Jesus. We even tolerate him more. And we're good with him as long as he'll just do what we think we need him to do. As long as our desires and his will match up, we'll follow him till the day is long. But the moment, the moment that he does not do what we ask him or expect him to do, that he has never promised or told us that he would do, we're done. We're out for a while. We're going to quit and we're going to give up and we're going to do it our way because in our minds and in our hearts, we think that we know what's best for us. And I would venture to say that you don't even know what's going to happen in an hour. 30 minutes. You have no clue what's coming next. And so, so these people here had no idea of the significance of what they're doing much less of what Jesus would do soon on the cross on their behalf. Like I said, I mean, is this just not a picture of the church? Many people are open to Jesus who think that he'll give them something, that he'll give him a hand, them a handout, whether it be health or success or happiness or promotion or money or spouses or, or you name it. We're good with Jesus if he would just give in to our selfish desires and not expect a whole lot in return. See, that's the Jesus that they're crying out to in this moment. They've heard the stories. They knew of him healing. They knew of him feeding the 5,000. They were aware. That's the Jesus they wanted. Give us a handout. Fix this situation. Do that thing. That, that's what we want. That's the Jesus they're crying out to. Rescue us and give us comfort, ease, and prestige. That's the kind of king they're wanting. They're want, not wanting a true king, not a true ruler one that would reign that's not who they're crying out to and all I know is this is that a king that is good knows his people and knows what they really need all I know is this in my life personally when I disconnect and I don't follow in obedience to the things that Jesus has asked and required and declared to me through his word whenever I want to do it Scott's way it ends up being a bigger mess 
It ends up taking me a lot longer. It ends up being a battle and a fight. Why? Because God's way is the right way, is the good way. And what I've learned from Scripture is that Jesus knows what he's doing. Far more than Scott knows what he's doing. I mean, think about it for a second. I mean, he is, he is, I mean, he's the sovereign of the universe. He's created everything. He knows how it intricately works and ties together and does. And I can't even, I can't even raise a, a, a family of three that great without falling apart. That's like, like this week, we, um, I'm, I'm going and I'm picking up my, my oldest and my middle. And um, uh, as I pick them up, we're getting them in the car. And the, the, the girl that puts them in the car is just kind of talking to them and picking at them. And, um, and as that's happening, um, she, she asks them a question about the pumpkin patch. Well, normally they'll go to the pumpkin patch. But this year they brought the pumpkin patch to them and they did their own little thing. And so um, he looks at her. My, my four-year-old, soon to be five-year-old, looks at her in the eyes and says, Nope, didn't do that today. She's like, oh, you didn't, so maybe tomorrow. Yep. I put the car in drive, and I start to pull off, and I hear a and he pulls out a pumpkin. That, God. I'm like, are you kidding? Are you? So what do I do? I just drive on home and forget about it. No. There's part of me that wanted to do that, but I'm like, okay, what would God want me to do in this moment? And it wasn't comfortable and it wasn't fun and I know it was going to be weird and it was going to be awkward. And I know, But what would he want me to do in this moment? Because what I'm doing is I'm setting the trajectory for my four-year-old for the rest of his life. And so I drive up and I put the car in park and I turn around and I look at him in his little eyes and I said, dude, that's uh-uh. We don't do that. We don't. I said, buddy, that's about a pumpkin. And then I have to be careful because I can get real like in the moment like preachery type Scott for a second. And I wanted to like break it down and really get into his little heart and let's, let's get this kid saved in the moment. We just weren't there yet. But um, so I pull back for a second and I'm just like, 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 like buddy, that doesn't make Jesus happy. And, and so in that moment, I had the opportunity to kind of share with him and talk to him. And then, then we turned the car back around and my oldest like, daddy, what are we doing? Let's just get home. I got ball to play with. So I said, buddy, you're just going to have to wait a minute. We, me and Bennett's got something we need to do. And so we turn around and we come back and, and the girl approaches the car again, kind of confused. And, and I open the door. I'm like, Bennett needs to tell you something. And he's like, I'm sorry. And he had the pumpkin in his hand. Oh. And you know, it may not have seemed like a big deal. It may not have been a big issue. I know he's four, right? He's got a lot of stuff he's going to learn. And, but in this moment, what was this? Me as the leader of my home, as, as trying to set the example for my boys and figuring out how in the heck to try to raise these kids right and begging with everything in me and my heart. God, rescue and redeem them and save them. Don't let me screw it up because there are tons of times that they see dad act wrong. There's tons of things that they see dad say or do in a way that doesn't, that doesn't point to Jesus like it should. And so I'm, I'm just like, man, I've, I've got a great, op- this is a high fastball. And I have a great opportunity to set the stage for my boys. One that didn't do a thing that's just ready to throw the ball and the other one that, that's messed up horribly. And so as I, as I wrote that this week, that, that Jesus is the kind of king that knows what his people need and he's concerned about their souls and their eternity, that's what I want to do with my family. That's what I want to do with my boys. That's what I want to be about. That's a good king. And that's the kind of king that Jesus is. He will turn the car around and he will take us back and he will teach us and he will show us. Why? Because he set a standard for us that's better than the standard that I've set for myself. And that's the king that's coming. That's who our Jesus is. 
Not Scott, go over there and try to figure it out or do whatever makes your little heart happy or, or, or you want that, just take it. You don't have to tell them the truth about it. Because well, what happens? That just continues to snowball, does it not? It just continues to get bigger and bigger and bigger and it's going to lead him down a path. It's going to lead us down a path. And what I have learned is whenever I'm left to myself running after my own heart, I do the same thing as my four-year-old did. So I need a king who knows me. I need a king who's going to set a standard and is going to stick to that standard. And he's going to be humble and he's going to be lowly and he's going to rule the right good way. And that's who Jesus is. Verse 10, and when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? And the crowd says, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. And it's going to bring us to our second point that Jesus proclaims his kingship, how? With protecting the temple. Look at what he does next in verse 12. Jesus acts out another Old Testament text. Verse 12, he says, Jesus enters the temple and he drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. Then to explain what's happening here, he's going to quote Isaiah 56, 7. He says this in 13. He says, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. And so there's two things that's going on that's going to make this, this significant, that's going to make this a big deal, what he quotes here from the Old Testament. And so the context there in Isaiah 56, 7, the context is about the kingdom coming the kingdom of God that's coming. And so Jesus is putting himself in that position of the coming king because it's making reference of the king coming. And then the next part about that is this, is that it's going to be, the context is global. It's not just for this group here, but it's, it's global. And so when Jesus chooses a prophetic word to interpret his actions there in the temple, he chooses one that underlines his coming on a donkey as king and the fact that his kingship is for all people. For anyone who would believe. For anyone who would come to him as king and lord of their life. It's for you. It's for me. Anyone who will believe. And he longs to usher people into his kingdom and to open his father's house to us. How? As a house of prayer. As a house of prayer. That's what he wants us to do. He wants us to grow and pray and praise and learn. That's what it's about, church. The third thing that we're going to see this as Jesus proclaims his kingship how by healing look at what it says in verse 14 and the blind and the lame they came to him in the temple and he healed them so, so let's just put ourselves in the story for a moment they're sitting there in the temple there's there's people all around and as they're gathered there look, I mean the imagery of what happens in this moment is phenomenal so Jesus is in one of the most public places in the city. You've got the temple, and there he is. And then there's these blind people and people who can't walk. They're lame. They're paralyzed. They're, they're just stuck there. Not, not people with a cold. Not people with a sore throat or a headache. I mean, these, these are major, major issues. They're blind, and they can't walk. And so this is a public demonstration of his kingship. And so, so why is all this such a big deal? Why is this, why, why is this important? Because in Isaiah 35, verses 4 through 6, the prophet describes the coming kingship of the Messiah like this. He says this in Isaiah 35. He says, take courage and fear not. The recompense of God will come, but he will save you. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened and the lame will leap like deer. And so what Jesus is doing in this moment, he's just fulfilling the things prophesied about him. He's pointing all the more to his kingship. He's living out and doing what the scriptures have declared and said that the king would do. He's just walking in that truth and that reality and proclaiming to the people, I'm here, it's me. 
It's me. You, you, don't, you don't understand and you don't see who I am, but, but I'm the king that you so desperately need. And as, as a result of what we read last week in Genesis 3, we're the same. We need a king who's not going to give us stuff, but we need a king who's going to save us and redeem us and rescue us from who? Ourself and sin. That's what we need, and that's the king that Jesus is. And so he shows himself to be true over and over and over, and he fulfills this prophecy about him, pointing all the more to his kingship. And the fourth thing that we see is this, is that Jesus proclaims his kingship with his response to the children. I just love how Jesus has a soft spot in his heart for kids. I mean, I just, I just love that how he, he takes time and how he'll respond and how he'll answer and he'll put attention and effort toward them and he'll use them in mighty ways. Guys, don't you ever forget that, you hear me? I don't care how young you think you are, how insignificant you think you are. I mean, God, God can you. Our fourth and fifth graders are in here this morning. Church, can we say hello? That's right, I see you, Lane. That's right. And you guys did phenomenal last week. You're doing great this week. But look at me right now, okay? Fourth and fifth grade, God can use you in a mighty, mighty way. You hear me? Don't you ever let anybody tell you different. Man, man he can use you in a big way to, to impact your teacher, to impact your friends, to impact your school campus. You guys, same thing. God doesn't pick the old or the educated or the wise to do his work. No, no, no. no. He, he picks whoever will be obedient and submit to his kingship. And so the thing I love about in scriptures, you see Jesus just has a spot in his heart for kids. Verse 15 says, it says, but when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they who, the chief priests and the scribes, the religious elite, they were indignant, they're angered, they're annoyed, they're frustrated. So when the children are shouting the same things as the adults, and in other words, the king is here, the king is here, the king is here, then the chief priest becomes angry. And look at what it says that he does. And so he talks to Jesus and he says, says to him, do you hear what these are saying? And so why would he single out the kids like that? They could have said, man, do you hear what the crowds are saying? And they could have gotten aggravated and frustrated at that. They can't believe that Jesus is allowing all this to be, uh, to be unchallenged, for all this to stand, uh, for all this to happen and take place. The, the, people, the, the people are crying out and they're getting frustrated at it. And so, so all I have to say is this, that those who are most frustrated and aggravated by Jesus and his claim to kingship are those who don't want to dethrone themselves from the throne of their life. And that's what we see here in the scriptures. That's what we see taking place. The king brings about rule and authority. And, and that's, that's what was lost in the garden. That was what was lost in the kingdom. When sin enters in, it's this bowing down to authority. We struggle with authority. Oh, we struggle with authority. But, but all the more the lost world and the religious seem to struggle with it just as much, if not more. So the world would claim, how dare you? How dare Jesus say that this is right? How dare Jesus define things this way? How dare Jesus say that, that you've got to live like this or you can't do this or you have to be like this? How dare that Jesus would set the standard? The lost world can't stand that. You mean to tell me you believe? Absolutely I believe. Why? Because God's word says it. And he's the king of kings. And he's the creator of all. 
All I know is the one who has created it and has formed it and has fashioned it has every right to determine and to say how it should function and how it should be. Because all I know is I have have 36 years of experience after experience after experience that if I'm left alone and I try to do it myself, outside the bounds of, of the direction of God, all I get is a mess. All I get is struggle and strife. When I submit to the authority of the Lord, though sometimes I may not enjoy it in that moment, man, what God does in my heart to teach me and to grow me and to pull me all the further into Him, the world can't stand that. I mean, how dare somebody tell me how to be or live or do or act or respond? No, 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 no. I've fought, I've done, I've worked. And then the religious, oh man, let's talk about the religious for a second, how we struggle uh, uh, with this, this um, uh, rule and reign of Jesus. We're good uh, submitting to the easy stuff, but when it becomes difficult, when it becomes hard, I mean, I mean there is the battle. I mean, when my heart longs for something and I want to run after it with everything in me, that's contrary to the Word of God. Now there's a struggle. Now I've got a little problem with Jesus. Because maybe Jesus don't just understand my circumstance or my situation. And so with the religious, man, they, they struggle because their heart is bent on getting everyone else to follow the rules so that they can manipulate and they can control their own desires. And that's what we see happening in the scriptures. That's what, that's what we know about the chief priests and the scribes and, and those type of people that, that are the religious elite of the day. I mean, they want to control and they want to manipulate. Hear me, church. If you ever go anywhere where the, the, the leader isn't willing to do what he's asking you to do, you need to get out. So if there's ever a moment that this guy stands on this stage or anybody stands on this stage and says something of you that, that they're not willing to do themselves, that I'm not willing to do myself, then get the heck out of Dodge as fast as possible because it's becoming something that God has never, ever intended it to be. Never intended it to be. And so that's what we see with the religious. And so what does Jesus do? He, he entertains and he answers this question. This is what he says from Psalm 8. This is a quote. He says, Jesus says to them, Yes, have you never read out of the mouths of infants and nursing babes? You have prepared praise. What an amazing about, what's amazing about the scriptures is that it, it points all credit and honor to God. See, Psalm 8, 1 says this, O Lord, O Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Who have displayed your splendor above the heavens from the mouth of infants and nursing babes. You have established strength or praise because, because of your adversaries. And so what we see happening in this scripture here is that Jesus receives the praise of little children. And then he explains it how by quoting a psalm where children are doing what? Praising God. He's pointing back and he's like, 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 no, 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 this should be this way. It should be happening like this. He quotes the Psalms where he gets praise from children. And so what Jesus is doing is saying this, is that I'm the king, I am God in the flesh, and the ones who you would never think get it are the exact ones that actually do. The ones that you would think are insignificant or unimportant or can do nothing are the very ones that I'm going to use or the very ones that are going to get it. And so there's always going to be a soft spot in this church for children as long as I'm the guy leading it. We're always going to have a heart to try to reach this community for the glory of God. And how are we going to do it? We're going to infiltrate the home. And we're going to infiltrate the home through kids. Man, you you will never understand the impact that a kid can have on a parent. You you will never, we will never fully grasp how God will, will use a kid. I've heard story 
after story after story of kids who've come to church and their parents maybe don't come or maybe just one comes and that kid goes back or that kid begins to pray or that kid begins to talk to that parent that don't come about the Lord. And what does God do? God just wrecks them. God breaks them. And so we are always going to have a a soft spot. And, And not to mention, man, why would we not want to? Why would we not have a heart for children, for youth? Why would we not? Because, because church, hear me, that's, that's the next one's in command. Why would we not want to impact? Why would we not want to point? Why would we not want to raise up and release for them to go out and take, take charge of this world? I mean, there's great responsibility that's coming. And maybe years down the road we'll look back and we'll see the direction and the way that this world's going maybe is in direct response to how we did or didn't do as it pertains to us leading and walking with and championing and caring for the least of these, especially in the realm as it comes to kids, as it comes to children, as it comes to youth. And so Jesus is saying, I'm king, I'm God in the flesh. And these little ones get it, though you, adult, educated, think that you got it all together and know something, don't have a clue. And but these littlest of littles understand that I'm king of kings. So as the band comes back up, what Jesus is doing here is he's just showing us what his kingship is now in part and what it'll fully be like in the king, kingdom to come, in the age to come. See, Jesus' kingship is not just a kingship over other kings, but it's over disease and, and, and nature. That's what it is. We'll, we will not just be safe and not sick when he comes. We'll be safe and absolutely whole. We'll be whole. That's what will happen. So now is the time. Now is the day of salvation. That's what Jesus is proclaiming. That's what he is telling them from the smallest, the least, the most overlooked. Those are the ones who get it and those are the ones who believe. And what's happened for those of us who have come to know Jesus is that we've seen ourselves in light of that. We've come to understand and realize that he is king of kings and he is lord of lords and that what took place in the kingdom lost, only he is the one that can make us whole and redeem and rescue and fix what's been broken and shattered. And so I guess my question for you this morning is this, will you acknowledge and believe today who this king is and respond? And maybe you have acknowledged, maybe you have believed, and maybe you have responded because the reality is this, everybody in this room and everybody watching online is going to respond to him as king of kings. Everybody is going to. And so I guess my question is, how are you going to do that when you leave this place? Because it's not just about coming down to an altar as you respond. It's about remembering and recognizing who he is and living out all that he has said. Of fighting for the things that he would fight for. Living in the ways that he would request and, and make known for us to live in. And so how will you on this day today acknowledge Jesus' kingship and how in acknowledging his kingship will you live for that? Will you submit to that authority? Will you come up under and live for and be? I don't know what God stirred in your heart but all I know is this is that if you don't know Jesus as king of kings and lord of lords man I would love to have more conversation with you. I would love to pray with you. I'd love to do whatever I could do to just show you all the more why that is a good and great and glorious thing. And if you are a part of the kingdom, if you are a citizen, which we'll talk about later in this series, if you are a citizen of the king, man, then church, we've got the great responsibility and privilege and honor as living as citizens of the kingdom. 
Remembering that we were created in the image of God, that we are image bearers of the King, that we are to reflect and to show this world who He is and what He is like. So I don't know what God stirred in your heart, but you be obedient to Him in this morning. If you need to come pray, if you need somebody to talk to, whatever we can do to serve you. Father, we love you, Jesus. We need you. We thank you so much for your kingship. God, no other king has established himself this way. No other king has made himself know the way that you have. Father God, you didn't come in and you didn't throw, throw down and you didn't fight for and you didn't, you, you just lived out who you were and you modeled for us and you showed us and God, you came as one humble. God, you came in as one with authority but you didn't use that authority for selfish gain. God, you came with a heart and a desire to restore and to rescue. That's the kind of king you are. That's the kind of king you are. So God, I pray this morning in this place and online people would hear that and know that and come to appreciate and love and value you all the more. And God, if there be one that don't, Lord, that you would just start to stir in their heart that reality of their great need for you. Jesus, we love you and need you. In your name we pray, amen.